live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports on 95.7 The Game. Come on! Yes, sir. Good morning, family. 105. 105 wins on the season for the San Francisco Giants. Yet they haven't clinched the NL West just yet as the Dodgers get the 8-3 win over the Padres. And it could happen tonight. It could happen tonight. Clayton Kershaw's on the mound for the Dodgers. But man, we got this 105th win to get to because last night, it's another Deadpool game. It's another game where, hey, this happens at the end. On the ground and past the reach of Smith. Giants win. Late night, Lamont does it for win number 105 on the season for the Giants. Lamont Wade with a walk-off single at the bottom of the night to give the Giants the win. But there was a hell of a lot to get to that happened within the eight previous innings. Now, before we do get to that ninth inning, because I think the at-bats from each of those guys was just unbelievable, especially with the way that the umpire was calling strikes and balls in it. I don't, you know, what? I'm not even going to single out just. Uh, I'm not even going to single out just this game to call out the umpires, but for the entirety of the series, I'm not going to say they've been inconsistent. But my God, this crew that the Giants and the Diamondbacks have had for these past few games, they have the biggest strike zones out of any umpire crew in the history of baseball. All right, that might be an exaggeration, but point being, I mean, geez, it's just like every every pitch, it's either, you know, it can be two inches outside and it'll still be called a strike. Two inches inside, it'll be called a ball, but then the same pitch will happen, then it'll be called a strike. Maybe that is inconsistent. Whatever. But still, it, 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 it's, just, it's just the entire series. It's been terrible. But anyway, let's get to the actual game, though, because uh, in the top of the first, it, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty to start things out because, unfortunately, uh, Scott Casimir had to be replaced after just getting one out when it was a 2 nothing game because Kazmir got hurt at that play at first where it was a grounder to first and he had to go uh, cover the bag and he had to race Paven Smith in order to get there. Uh, then his ankle stepped on the base in an awkward way. He had to be taken out of the game after only pitching one-third of an inning. And then you bring in Kervin Castro and he ends up walking in a run when the bases were loaded. It ends up being 3 nothing, and then you already have Madison Bumgarner making an appearance. I don't think any Giants fan was expecting to see Madison Bumgarner first make his appearance in front of the home crowd in a batting helmet. In a batting helmet. Now, I gotta admit, it was a cool moment it, it, when when Madison Bumgarner uh, was coming out to the to the batter's box because you had you know the tap on the back to Buster Buster hits him back and you know it's you get, you get the ovation and he understands what's happening so he ends up taking the helmet waving his helmet to the crowd all that stuff tip of the cap and it was a big cheer for him big standing ovation it's always cool when you see those types of moments however it ended in a strikeout. <laughs> Ended in a strikeout. So it was a 3 nothing game early and after the top of the first. But knowing how this team plays, knowing how 
for lack of a better term, resilient they are. I wasn't worried about this lead at all. I wasn't worried about this lead. Kind of like with the 49ers scoring against the Packers with 37 seconds left and leaving Aaron Rodgers that much time left. I'm thinking, oh, the Diamondbacks scored way too early. Because three runs, that's as good of an inning as can possibly be had by this Diamondbacks lineup. So I felt good. And then in the bottom of the first... Austin Slater, Austin Slater. I know he made, uh, I know he made a blunder on defense in that top of the first inning uh, to keep the inning alive. But Austin Slater leading it off with the single, then Darren Ruff just coming in and absolutely crushing one to score Slater right away. It's a three-one ball game, and I understand that they didn't get any runs out of that. But that's the type of thing that's going to set the tone right there, where your first two hitters just come right back and get a run against Bumgarner. Now, Posey, Longoria, and Chris Bryant would all go out, and they'd all do it on uh, four pitches because Buster Posey was the only one to take one. Then Evan Longoria would swing at the first pitch. Then subsequently, Chris Bryant would swing at the first pitch as well, so they'd get out of the inning. But it was a 3-1 ball game, and the Giants slowly but surely started to claw their way back, scoring a run here and there, whether it was you know Brandon Crawford getting a home run or Buster Posey getting a sacrifice fly when guys are getting on base. They end up tying the game at 3-3. But then in the top of the fifth, something happens. Now, there weren't any errors in this game. You're not, if, you, if you look at the box score, you're not going to see, uh, you're not gonna see a, a one in either of those. You're going to see a couple of goose eggs in the E column in the box score. However, with the runner on base, you had Christian Walker, who was already on base, You had Paven Smith, who flied out to rough. So you got one out with one runner on. The runner's on first. Ildemaro Vargas hits a ball to right field. Now, it looks like it's a... Looked like it's a pretty well hit ball, but it also doesn't look like anything that the right fielder can't handle. I can't tell you how many times, at least when Mike Yastrzemski's been in, I can't tell you how many times that he's just taken the correct angle, the correct route to a line drive fly ball, and he's able to catch it. There's been a lot of those times this season where you're thinking off the bat, oh no, this could turn into something, but then Mike Yastrzemski ends up stopping it. A very underrated part of his game is how quickly he's able to get to those fly balls, which aren't necessarily fly balls, but more line drives to the outfield. But Vargas hits one of those, and it's not Mike Yastrzemski in right field, it's Chris Bryant. And when the game's tied at 3-3, Chris Bryant misplays the ball, it goes over his head, Vargas ends up getting a triple And then Christian Walker scores, and it gives the Diamondbacks a 4-3 lead. Now, Zach Littell came in because that was off of Johnny Cueto. I haven't even mentioned Johnny Cueto yet, who came in in relief for his first first relief appearance uh, in his career. I thought uh, Cueto looked great up until until that point. But Zach Littell comes in and gets a couple of strikeouts, and Madison Bumgarner is the one who ends up striking out to end the inning. So there's no more harm done, but that blunder by Chris Bryant is the type of thing in the postseason that you can't have. The margin for error, I understand that, you know, we were talking about this yesterday. Sure, you can lose a couple of games in the playoffs, but if you're in a critical situation like the one that they're in last night, I mean, last night with the Dodgers already having a lead over the Padres, you're expecting them to win the game. You needed to get this win. And at that point in the fifth inning, when you're tied in that situation, you need to make that catch. And Chris Bryant wasn't able to do that. And if you've ever played 
any form of baseball before. If you've ever played Little League to juniors to seniors to high school to big league, whatever you've played. Everyone's hell. I'll even talk, I'll even throw in slow pitch softball, beer league softball, whatever. We've all been in that situation where we're in the outfield and maybe there's a a ball that we judge incorrectly. And that's exactly what happened with Chris Bryant last night. And here's what Gabe Kapler had to say uh, regarding that little blunder from Bryant. I think he just broke in on that ball. Uh, probably didn't get the perfect read on it. Um, thought it was a lower line drive than it was. I mean, I, I, I can remember uh, being in that position you know, sometimes you see a low line drive and, and you, and you break hard in because you think it's going to, it's going to sink or it's going to dip. Um, and sometimes if it's, if it's backspun, it'll just carry right over your head. And, um, yeah, I don't think it was his best jump. And it was terrible. It was terrible. And I finished that cut way too soon and accidentally cut it up in the wrong way. That is my bad. However, they got out of the inning, right? So it's the top, that happened in the top of the fifth. It's a four, three game. And you want to talk about, similar resiliency that we saw in the first inning. Well, Austin Slater leads off with a single, and then Buster Posey comes in and gets a double to make it 4-4. A double off of his former teammate, Madison Bumgarner, was locked in on every at-bat, by the way, uh, with with Posey and Bumgarner. I found that to be just a, a fascinating matchup. But Buster Posey gets the double. They tie the game at 4-4. And then you rely on your bullpen. So we already had Johnny Cueto and Zach Littell. Zach Littell able to get out the inning. And then Dominic Leone ended up coming in for Littell. Sure, he gave up a walk, but ended up getting out of it. And then Jose Alvarez comes in too. Jose Alvarez comes in. He gets out of it. Then Tyler Rogers. Tyler Rogers comes in and he throws two innings of shutout ball. So by the time you get to the bottom of the ninth, it's tied 4-4 thanks to the bullpen and also just crisp defense being played. And um, the Diamondbacks bullpen held their own as well uh, after Bumgarner came out after the fifth inning and they relied on him in the sixth, seventh, and eighth. I mean, I didn't even realize that... uh, I didn't even realize that uh, J.B. Wendelkin, former A, was on the Diamondbacks. Had no idea about that. But you get to the bottom of the ninth, and everything that we've talked about in this entirety of the game, besides, you know, good defense, but they've been winning with good bullpen play, with clutch hits, with actually some good defensive plays. I'm not even just going to single out the Chris Bryant error. Uh, I'm going to call it the error, but it, even though it didn't count. But that Chris Bryant play, I'm, I'm going to single that one out. But the rest of the time, the Giants played good defense. They needed to bring out every facet of their game in order to win this one. It just wasn't one phase. And then in the bottom of the ninth, in the bottom of the ninth, Brandon Crawford comes in right to start the game. First pitch, fly out, gone. But then Wilmer Flores comes in, and Flores has maybe, yeah, I'm not going to just act like it's the best at bat of the of his of the of the season for him because I'm sure he's had plenty of other ones. But with that eight pitch at bat, ending it in a double, 
And as I mentioned at the top of the show, the umpire, the strike zone was just so huge. You can't tell which is a strike and which is a ball. And this lefty that they were going against, he um, uh, Mantiply, he was just trying to get him on this backdoor breaking ball the entire time, and it wasn't working. So he was just fouling off pitches, taking pitches when he needed to, and then Wilmer Flores gets on with a double with the 3-2 count. So you have that. You have a runner on second with one out. Then they intentionally walked Donovan Solano. They need to get a runner on base because at that point, with one out, you want to focus on that lead runner and try and get the double play if possible. Then Gabe Kapler pinch hits Kurt Casale. And Kurt Casale, you want to talk about another at-bat of the year? I know it was just a walk, but this dude also took eight pitches. And each one of them fouling them off. Each one of them was really close. Each one of them was really close. I think Mansupply was giving them uh, a good competition. So Kurt Casale with an incredibly clutch at bat to t- to get the get uh, to get the bases loaded, and then late game Lamont Wade, and you want to talk about the most reliable hitter in the ninth inning for this San Francisco Giants team? It's Lamont Wade on the ground. And- season for the Giants. And credit to NBC Sports Bay Area for the audio. Here's what Gabe Kapler had to say after the game talking about that final inning. It wasn't optimal, right? We were going to we were going to grind our way through that game and you know, we've talked all year about uh using using the resilient word to describe this team, but that's precisely how I kind of described them in this game. They were just they're just fighters and 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 tough enough to climb back in and and ultimately uh get a big hit at the end there with Lamont. I um, come to expect that from him, but I, I don't want the Casale at bat to go um, untalked about. It was a- as critical as any other at bat that we had all night and also super gritty and tough. Wilmer Flores, Kurt Casale, and Lamont Wade, all with some fantastic at bats there in the ninth inning. And that puts Lamont Wade and his batting average overall this season in the ninth inning. Up to 565. He is 13 for 23 in the ninth inning with 12 RBIs. It's crazy. That's his sixth hit that either ties the game or gives them the go-ahead late in the game. It's insane. It's insane what Lamont Wade is doing. All right, 888-957-9570. We'll continue to talk a little bit of baseball coming up next because I do find this whole... This playoff race, just not only with what they're what's happening with the Dodgers, fascinating, but just with every other team that's currently clinching their division right now. I want to get into all that next, and just the playoff format in general, and then we'll preview a little bit of tonight. Stephen Langford and on the pregame show, ninety-five-seven. The game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. 105. 105 wins. <laughs> 105 wins for the San Francisco Giants. And yesterday was such an up and down game. I didn't lose any hope. I really didn't. I, I had a feeling they were going to come back. Especially when the Diamondbacks were up 3 nothing early. I'm just thinking, alright, that's way too soon because the, it's been 45 minutes and the Giants haven't even had a chance to get to, a, get to an at-bat yet. So, 
everything that happened, the Casimir play, the bullpen having to come in for an extended period of time. Gabe Kapler said after the game he was hoping Casimir would maybe go four or five innings and have a good start like he had the last time, but instead they had to adjust and make it to a bullpen game. You know, and you're slowly crawling your way back. You're getting the runs on the board, and you're doing it early in the in the in the inning. But then the final couple of batters aren't able to get it done, and they just get out of the inning. But you know, they'd end up having the tie game from that Chris Bryant blunder in right field, and then yet they'd come right back in that bottom of the fifth, tie the game at four four. The bullpen would keep him in it for the 6th, 7th, and 8th. And then Lamont Wade would hit the game winner in the bottom of the ninth after some unbelievable at-bats from Wilmer Flores and Kurt Casale to make the bases loaded to get that inning going. You know that I'm feeling like uh, I'm feeling like Bill Hader's character, Stefan from Saturday Night Live. That game had everything. But they managed to get the 5-4 win over the Diamondbacks. It was a close one. And this has just been a this has been a dicey series overall. <laughs> just a just a you know, I mean they had that one nothing win earlier. The first game was just it was a one run game too, or it was four to one, and you're hoping that Lebo, uh, that uh, Camilo Duvall's that next closer and you got all of that going. But then also the Dodgers are right on your tail and looking at the standings because teams are starting to clinch now. You know, the Dodgers are going to go up and face the uh, uh, face the Milwaukee Brewers for these next three games. And I don't really know what uh, Milwaukee's motivation is because as of right now, they're not even going to be playing these guys in, in, the, in the NLDS. The NLDS appears to already be set uh, for the teams within the NL East and the NL Central as well. The Braves are going to be that team. So I don't know how much motivation they have tonight, but they've already clinched. We saw last night that the Astros already clinched. Everything. It's just... 105 wins, and they still haven't clinched yet. Still haven't clinched yet. From the 925, Wade has that Scudero gene. And this is going to be a conversation that I think will be um, appropriate to have more after the regular season's over and we are heading into the playoffs, and maybe we have some time to talk about it. But I have a certain list of guys who I want to see make name for themselves in the postseason. We're always hearing with this Giants team that, you know, they don't get enough respect. People nationally have no idea who any of these guys are, like Lamont Wade. And Lamont Wade's right at the top of my list because stars are born in the postseason, right? Who was the most popular player in last year's postseason? You may remember, he's from the Tampa Bay Rays, and his name is Randy Arozarena. And he was doing things in the in the postseason that had never been done. Another guy, Wander Franco. He's going to be the next man up for the, for the Rays there. I think he's going to make a name for himself in case you haven't heard of who that is. He was their top prospect. But this Giants team, not a lot of people know who they are. Not a lot of people know who they are, so I do think there are some certain guys who I want to see come up huge in the playoffs, and Lamont Wade is right up there because throughout this entire season, late-game Lamont has been the Giants' secret weapon, right? He's been their, he's been their secret. Their, their, he has been their unknown juggernaut in the ninth inning. When he comes in in the ninth, He's going to get it done. Like, that's where I'm at. But 
I, I want to see that happen in the postseason for him. I really do. From the 707, Gabe Kapler and Kyle Shanahan sound almost identical. I disagree. I don't know. I, I, you, you know what, 707, I don't know if you're the only one who says that on the text line, but we do get that quite a lot. I don't know if I hear that. I don't know if I hear that. Maybe I could play a sound by, by side by side after I'm done uh, playing some of this Tim Kirkjian sound here. From the 707 also, their secret sauce. I love that. I love that. It's the Good Burger secret sauce. Right? That's what the Giants have with Lamont Wade right now. Why 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 are you getting an edge getting an edge over the Dodgers who are Mondo Burger while you're the little guys, you're good burger? It's because of your secret sauce. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Finally, we got we got an analogy down. But Tim Kirkchen, Tim Kirkchen, longtime baseball writer, analyst for ESPN. He's one of the best people in the business. He knows how to break down the game better than anyone, and he is just a historian when it comes to the game. Listen to these comments when he was on with Damon Ratto and Kolsky yesterday on the 2021 Giants. This is the beauty of baseball. Every year there's one team that kind of comes out of nowhere, surprises you, you slap your forehead I didn't see that coming, but nobody could have possibly seen this coming. And it's really hard to find a team with expectations, at least from everyone else, not very high at all, without a whole lot of star power, and not just winning a division, which I think they're going to do, but winning 104 games and counting. I'm not sure there's a comparable for exactly what the Giants have done this year. Now, from Tim Kirkchen, from Tim Kirkchen, that's saying something. That just shows you how special this season is. Let's just let's just take a moment, everybody. Let's just take a moment before I, you know, get you a little angry. <laughs> but let's just take a moment and just appreciate what's been happening. I understand that, you know, if you end up, you're not going to. It doesn't look like you're going to. I'm, you know, knock on knock on wood if you're with me, man. Knock on wood about that, but. Most likely, you're going to be getting into the National League Division Series. And depending on how it goes, you could look at the season as a disappointment, whatever, based on how it's gone. But let's just take a moment to realize, and this is what I like to do whenever Steph Curry just has a monster game, but let's just take a moment to understand that we are in a historic season. We are in something that, you know, it's it's not this does not happen every year. <laughs> this is not something that we might even see for the next who knows because this is the most se- regular season win that the Giants have had. So let's just take a moment and enjoy it. Now let's talk about why all these playoffs are BS. So <laughs> I don't know if that's the way to, to that's the way to frame it. It's early in the morning. My mind's racing. But here's here's how it goes. Good Lord, my voice just cracked. Here's how it goes on the MLB standings, okay? Now, they put a Y next to the teams who have already won their division. They put a Y next to those teams. So you got a Y next to, let's start with the American League. You got a Y next to the White Sox, who have won their division. You got a Y next to the Houston Astros, who clinched the division last night officially at 93-66. and 66. The White Sox at 91 and 68. The Rays, there's not a Y next to their name. There is a Z next to their name. Because not only did they clinch the division, but they also clinched the best record in the American League. All right, now let's let's just take a moment here. The Giants have 105 wins on the season. They're 105 and 54. The Tampa Bay Rays are 98 and 61. 
98 and 61. And they clinched their division, and they also clinched the best record in the American League. If they were in the National League West, they would be seven games back of the Giants. And if you wanted to do the math, they'd be five games back of the Dodgers. So that's where we're at in the American League. And then in the National League, you got a Y next to Atlanta's name at 86 and 72. You got a Y next to Milwaukee's name at 95 and 64. Milwaukee clinched on Sunday, and unfortunately, one of their best pitchers ended up having a couple of, a few too many drinks and punching a wall. And I actually have a new thing for uh, that guy, Devin Williams. I think that, uh, you know, he has that pitch, the airbender, which is one of the most just crazy pitches that I've ever seen in my entire life, and I just don't know how he, do, how he does it. It defies gravity, and there's a reason why it's called the airbender. But anytime he's getting frustrated in a game, that pitch, whatever he throws, a, a frustration pitch, he should call it the wall puncher. But then, Milwaukee, why next to their name, 95 and 64? Then you go to the Giants. Then you go to the Giants and the Dodgers, too. And what they have are X's next to their team names. What does the X stand for? Well, they've clinched a playoff berth. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's just, this, these two teams have been as good as anyone in Major League Baseball, and I know I'm kind of caping up here for the Dodgers, too, but the fact that these two teams are still squaring off and nothing has even been clinched within the division, within the National League, because we're still waiting on it, it's just frustrating, and you know maybe it's because, and I'm sure A's fans have been calling for this, you know, for the past ten years, however long the wild card's been in play, even longer than that. But we need to have seeding within these Major League Baseball playoffs, and maybe I didn't realize how much we did. Um, but by the time you get two teams that are just far and away better than anyone else within. Major League Baseball, if this happens again, at some point there's got to be a change that's made. And, you know, that's going to come with a new commissioner. That's going to come with uh, everything, uh, you know, and, and maybe, a, you know, some different some changes within the Players Association, whatever needs to get done. But, man, it's just the seeding here. I think that's what would be more appropriate. Make the divisions, nullify the divisions much like the much like the NBA does. Keep it just within the American League and the National League and, you know, the the top the top 5 teams in the in the in the American League and the top 5 teams in the National League can square off and, you know, maybe you could still have a wild card game in that situation, but as long as you're not having two of the best teams in baseball square off in what's the first series of the playoffs, something else needs to happen. Something else needs to happen. From the 650, is Gabe the only manager rocking the high socks? It's a good question. I'm trying to think. I hmm. I think uh, I think the Mets manager did, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. Gabe Kapler might be the only manager who rocks the high socks. I would always rock the high socks. I would doing I was doing that for a little bit, and then you know by the time I turned like 13, 14, stopped rocking the high socks. Maybe it's because I got chicken legs from the nine two five. Nice guy. What happened to my A's? Total collapse. The distraction from the ownership has finally affected the team. That's Ernie from Oakland. It, 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 Look, everything that's happened with the A's this season, and, you know, relatively speaking, if you're, I'm looking at this from the perspective, if you're like a, you know, a Pirate fan or 
or a Marlins fan, a Rangers fan, a Royals fan, fans of a team that have had perennial, 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 oh my goodness, perennially bad seasons. (laughs) You guys, I'm supposed to be a professional here. Perennially bad seasons. If you're a fan of those types of teams, you'd look at what the A's did this year at 85 and 74, and you'd be happy, right? So, yeah, I mean, you're, you, you know, you're 11 games over 500. That's great. But, or six and a half, or excuse me, five and a half games over 500. However, at 85 and 74, that has to be just knowing everything that's happened with the A's this season, with the distraction from the possible move, all the stadium proposals, but everything that's happened to them, not signing Marcus Simeon, Marcus Simeon hitting more home runs than any second baseman in American League history. Not signing him to a deal. The Rosenthal injury early on in the year that kept him out um, for the entirety of the season. You know, maybe Matt Chapman not performing up to expectation, not performing up to his level. Matt Olson carrying the load. Ramon Laureano, everything that happened with him. You know, the suspension and, and, and all of that. It's just been stacking one on top of the other and then not even to mention here the Chris Bassett injury which just put a, a you know which was just which just sucked to see that was a terrible moment I mean it was uh it was just a, it was just a brutal season overall for A's fans and and really I, I do uh, I, I do sympathize with them I really do because all my you know I got friends who are A's fans Ernie from Concord you know I mean I, I don't know you but you've been you know texting and tweeting and doing all these different things so I feel like I know you and you're an A's fan too my family are or my parents are A's fans not necessarily my entire family but it's just you know they're tired of it that's really where they're at now. And you know, you 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 make a good, you do a good thing. You trade Jesus Lazardo straight up for Starling Marte. Starling Marte uh, brings back an element of his game that you know A's fans haven't seen since Ricky Henderson. And I don't know if they're even going to sign him to another deal. Probably won't. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. It's just one thing after another for 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 the A's this year. It's just it's just nonstop. But look tonight. I mean, I mean, this is just oh, this, there's, there's too much drama already. It's October first. Thought this was already supposed to be sorted out. You got Clayton Kershaw who's going for the Dodgers against Eric Lauer of the Milwaukee Brewers, and they're going to be playing in L.A. Meanwhile, Anthony DiSclafani is going for the Giants, while the Padres have yet to determine a starting pitcher. So we wait to see that. But man. Tonight is gonna. This whole weekend is gonna be full of drama. And Monday, we're coming in to be talking about not only what's going on with the Giants, but we got the 49ers and the Seahawks. That's gonna be huge, and that's what we're gonna talk about coming up next. Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa. He's not necessarily the most talkative guy in the world, but he gave a great answer. I think to the Packers and their game plan to try and stop them at that night game. So we'll get to what Nick Bosa had to say. Then we'll get to the over-unders for this game. You know how I like to do it on the Friday before we close or as we close out the show. We like to do over-unders. We go through each player prop, whether it's George Kittle's receiving yards, Jimmy Garoppolo's passing yards. Then we go over-under for each of those guys, and I need your help. It's a participation segment from you. So we'll get to all that next. Stephen Langford in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game.
Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. Good morning, everybody. Stephen Langford in with you. As you know, because the big voice guy said it. But these next 20 minutes, want to talk a little 49ers and Seahawks. And no, it's not just going to be 20 minutes worth of previews, but in about, mm, I'm going to go seven minutes. At 547 here, we're going to start doing the over-unders. I got four different player props to go over for the 49ers and the Seahawks. So I got Kittle's receiving yards, I got Garoppolo's passing yards and passing touchdowns, and then I got Debo's receptions, and then we'll get your score predictions as well for the entire game. And then in the process, we'll talk about keys to the game, X-Factors, all of that sort of stuff. But I do want to play this clip, and this is what I uh, teased going into this segment. But Nick Bosa, he's not a very... Uh, he's not a talkative guy, as you know. Very soft-spoken, very quiet dude. It's He's one of those guys where his face, hell, his stature doesn't ma- doesn't match his voice. You know what I mean? We have those certain guys. I actually think uh, Darren Ruff is one of those guys. He's a big, burly dude. But also, then you hear his voice, and you'd expect to hear, like... You know, something out of like something like James Earl Jones or something like that. It's not exactly that. No disrespect to Darren Ruff, but Nick Bosa's that same type of guy. But we all know the stat, and I we all know the stat from that left tackle, the third stringer who didn't let Nick Bosa get a sack. And I came in here with the point on that Monday morning to say that uh, look, Nick Bosa, he had a good game. Everyone who's just looking at the numbers and thinking that he didn't get, you know, the pressures that he needs and all that, they were pinning that all on the third string left tackle. So the narrative surrounding Nick Bosa was that, oh, he can't take on a third stringer. Is Nick Bosa really that good? Were those three sacks in the two games just a fluke? But if you watch that game, he was dominating that left tackle in the first quarter. It was just a matter of time before he got to the quarterback. But then the rest of the game, all they were doing was chipping. Chipping away at him. Whether it was with the running back, Aaron Jones. Whether it was with Robert Tunyon. Robert Tunyon, you didn't see a whole ton because he was so busy trying to get Nick Bosa. And what you mean by a chip is basically when another player besides the lineman comes in, runs their route, and chips the defensive end. And, And, you know, sometimes it was, and sometimes it was dangerous. Because there was a couple of plays where Tunyon really went at him. And really, I thought it could have been a flag that was called. And I understand it's a violent game and whatnot. But at some point, there has to be an illegal hit when you just come in from the blind side and just knock the dude out. But here's what Nick Bosa had to say yesterday when he met with the media, talking about how he needs to be better at dealing with those chip blocks. I just need to be better off of the chips after not just stand there like I'm shocked that it's happening. And uh, I don't know, expect it more and and get back to my rush quicker. I kind of just sat there and took it against Green Bay and felt sorry for myself. So um, I need to just be ready for it. And I just didn't expect it quite as much, but... It's coming. And you know who I'm looking at, though? I'm not looking at Nick Bosa from that last game where they were hardly able to get to to Aaron Rodgers. I'm looking at the rest of that defensive line. D. Ford, I didn't really hear his name called too much. 
You know, Javon Kinlaw, he had a couple of nice plays in the game, but he wasn't getting any interior pressure. I think that's actually been uh, a big flaw from this 49ers defense, if anything. It's their lack of being stout on the run in the interior, while also not really gaining an interior pass rush. But it's these other guys besides Nick Bosa that have to step up. We paid so much attention to him, and we looked at that third stringer, and we're, you know, we're looking at PFF, and PFF are writing articles about it, saying this is what Nick Bosa did against that third string left tackle. But really, he was getting double teamed, and the left tackle was getting help on Bosa. It's got to be up to the other guys, especially this week, especially this week where the whole point, the whole way of the offense for the Seahawks and how they're going to do it is they're going to run play action and they're going to roll Russell Wilson out to whichever side Nick Bosa is not on. They're going to try and alleviate any of that pressure from Bosa by going to the opposite side of the field. And that's going to be incumbent on whoever is on the opposite side of Bosa to get things done. You know, Arden Key. Arden Key, when he gets the snaps, he needs to come through. And what what was I telling you? Look, as a Raider fan, you know, seeing Arden Key and everything that he's done these past few years, Arden Key, Raider fans, we reacted the exact same way as 49er fans did. A lot of upside, very excited. Maybe he wasn't able to unlock things over in over in uh, Oakland slash Las Vegas. But really, he was able to get past the line of scrimmage. He was able to beat his blocker. But whenever he'd get into the backfield, he'd just come up empty. He wouldn't be able to sack the quarterback. And the only time that he really did, he did it a few times in his career, but the one crucial time that he did, he face-masked Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that led to the Dolphins charging down to win the game in the last seconds in the fourth quarter. Like, that's what we know Arden Key for. But he needs to step up. He needs to step, he needs to step up in these situations. Like, that's where I'm at with the defensive line. Now, here's an update, by the way, from the Seahawks regarding uh, their injury report. Because, you know, not only are you going to have to get pressure on Russell Wilson, but we're also wondering what the secondary is going to look like, right? How are Josh Norman and Diamador Lenore going to face off against the likes of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, whoever? Well, Tyler Lockett... As we saw in the last game, he did get hurt, and he did practice on Wednesday. He was a limited participant in practice on Wednesday, but he didn't practice yesterday with a hip injury, which tells me that, you know, it's not saying that he's not going to go on Sunday, but clearly he felt something was wrong on that Wednesday to the point where he says, okay, I can't go out there on Thursday. And then DK Metcalf ended up being limited with a foot injury, And he was out yesterday from practice with that injury. So, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I'm not going to say they're not playing. I'm not going to say that, yo, those guys, uh, I'm not going to say those guys aren't going to be there. We're only going to have to pay attention to Freddie Swain. I'm not going to say that. But, man... You're going to get DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who it doesn't look like they're going to be 100% going into this game. So I'm very interested to see how they do. But it's the offensive side of the ball for the 49ers where everyone has the questions and everyone has the takes because, quite frankly, we understand offense way more than we understand defense, in my opinion, because there's so many things uh, that can be done on defense that just we don't even know about. But George Kittle did not practice yesterday 
he should be okay. He should be okay to go, but he's just not practicing. So he missed Wednesday, and he was also a non-participant uh, on Thursday. Josh Norman didn't participate. He was obviously out. And then Kwan Williams out with the calf. So, look, we'll see what happens. The corners... They could be out too there, Josh Norman uh, being the big one, because Josh Norman, I thought, has actually uh, looked very good in his return so far. Javon Kinlaw and Elijah Mitchell were both limited, so um, that's a good sign for Elijah Mitchell to come back. They need someone else there uh, at running back. But overall, the offense, what does it need to do? I want to know from you, and that's what the point of this exercise is as we go through the player prop over-unders for this game. And I want to know from you at 888-957-9570. I want you to call in, line them up. I got some over-unders for you. Let's get started. From the 510. Sorry, Bosa got to show up with hustle plays to show something. Max Crosby did all that last year with no help and got pressure. If Bosa that dude, y'all praise him to be, he need to show up. But I will argue that Max Crosby wasn't getting chipped on every single play. And that's not to take away from anything that Max Crosby's done. He's been just unbelievable, not only getting to the passer, but also... Uh, from stopping the run as well. And you can look at the analytics on that uh, if you want to. But here are the over-unders and here how they play out for this game. I got some for Jimmy Garoppolo. I got some for George Kittle. And I got some for Debo Samuel as well. So we got George Kittle, 67.5 receiving yards. That's going to be the over-under for George Kittle. And again, I want you to participate at 888-957-9570 if you want to call in, get in where you fit in, and let's just see what the outcome's going to be. George Kittle, over-under 67.5 receiving yards. Jimmy Garoppolo, this is an interesting number. Jimmy Garoppolo, over-under, and this is the actual number here, 250 passing yards. Garoppolo, over under 250 passing yards. Can you get that down? Then also for Garoppolo, over under one and a half passing touchdowns. One and a half passing touchdowns. So, do you think Garoppolo can get over 250 yards passing and two touchdowns in this game? Then you're going to choose the over for that. But then there's Debo Samuel, and this is where it gets interesting. I'm not going to use his receiving yards, but his receptions. The over under at six and a half. Six and a half receptions. I want to know from you, what do you got? 888-957-9570. And if you want, if you don't want to participate, that's fine. I understand it's early. It's 5.51 in the morning and it's a Friday. You probably had a fun little Friday junior night out where you go out on Thursday and you enjoy yourself and you don't want to wake up that early. Totally fine. But I'm going to go through the over-unders myself because, you know, I'm doing this show by myself, by my lonesome. You can participate, though, at 888-957-9570. George Kittle over under 67 and a half receiving yards. Man, it's going to be a fun matchup with those Seahawks linebackers and George Kittle, but I do think that this needs to be a George Kittle game here. I do think this needs to be a George Kittle game, and he had a great one last game. Don't get me wrong. George Kittle was so clutch in that last game, but I think in order to beat this Seahawks team, I think it's going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be a total shootout. In order to do that, the way to get your offense going, if the run game isn't, get the ball to George Kittle. Let him make a play. That's all you got to do. Just give him as many targets as possible. I want to see George Kittle get at least 10 targets in this game against the Seahawks. Like That's where I'm at. So I'm going to be taking the over on that one. 
We do have a caller on line one who wants to participate. What's going on, caller? What's your name? Where are you calling from? Morning. This is uh, Isaac from San, San Leandro. Isaac from San Leandro. All right, man. You ready? Yes. All right. George Kittle, 67 and a half receiving yards. You going over or under on that? That's going to be over. Over on Kittle. All right. Jimmy Garoppolo. This is the interesting one. 250 passing yards. Are you going over or under on that one? Going over as well. Over on Garoppolo, over on Kittle. Garoppolo, we're sticking with Garoppolo here. One and a half passing touchdowns. Is he going to get two touchdowns in this game, Isaac? Yes, he is. He's going to go over. Over for that. All right. And then Debo Samuel. Over or under six and a half receptions. So he's got to get seven receptions in this game if you want to go over here. That's going to be over as well. Over for Isaac all across the board. All right, Isaac, what's your score prediction, man? 34 to 27. To who? For the Niners. All right, there we go. 34 to 27 for the Niners, and he's going over on all facets. Hey, look. Isaac's right. If if you're going to get to 34 points, it feels like that's what it's going to have to be. You get the ball to Debo, get the ball to Kittle, Kittle as much as you can, and really on you know two receptions, Kittle can go over the 67 and a half receiving yards. You don't need to give him 10 targets in order to get to that point. But Isaac's right. Hey, 34-27, if that's his score prediction, those guys are going to need to go over in each of those situations. We got another caller here on at 888-957-9570. What's your name? Where are you calling from, caller? Um, calling from Eastside San Jose, Alum Rock to be exact. This is Dirty, your boy. Dirty, what's going on, man? All right. You ready for this? this yeah, I'm ready, man. All right. George Kittle, over under 67 and a half receiving yards. I put Waller, Kittle, and Kelsey in the same category. They're all demons. You got to get them the ball. They fall forward. I'm seeing him at least 80 to 100. At least 80 to 100. All right, Dirty's going over. All right, Dirty. Sticking with Garoppolo. Over under 250 passing yards. It's a tricky number because he could still win this game if he throws less. Mm. Uh, I'm going to go with less. I'm going to go with 239. Um, He's not going to need any garbage time. All right, 239, and over under one and a half passing touchdowns for Garoppolo. Do you think he gets two or more in this one? He's going to double his one and a half. Let's get three. Um, it's going to be a tight game. I call it in the 20s, but um, I don't He's going to get in the 30s, but it's going to be a tight one. All right, Dirty, one more for you. Over under Debo Samuel here, over under six and a half receptions. Is he going to get seven receptions in this game? I don't see him getting that if Kittle's going to get targeted that much. So I'm going to go with uh, under. The under on Debo. All right, Dirty, what's your score prediction? I'm going to go, uh, God, it's going to sound funny, either or, but I'm going to go 27-24. 27-24, and I'm going to guess to the 49ers here, Dirty? I mean, honestly, man, I can't call it, but I'm definitely, uh, I'm, I'm sided with my cousin. He's a, he's a diehard Niners. All right, all right, Dirty. Appreciate the phone call, man. Woo! That's interesting. So we got 
Isaac, who was the first caller, who's going over on everybody and predicted a 34-27 to score for the 49ers. Then you had Dirty, who just called in from Alum Rock. He has the over on Kittle's receiving yards, the under on Garoppolo's passing yards, however, the over on Garoppolo's passing touchdowns, and the under on Debo's reception. It has a 27-24 to win for the 49ers. Interesting one from Dirty there. All right, we got another caller on the line at 888-957-9570. What's your name? Where are you calling from? God, I trust Beats from Oakland, California. What's going on, man? All right, you ready for this? Oh, yeah. All right, let's go. George Kittle, over under, 67 and a half receiving yards. He going over. He's going to have a monster game. I'm over 100. Jimmy Garoppolo, over under, 250 passing yards. He going to go over. Sticking with Garoppolo, over under, one and a half passing touchdowns. Oh, he's going over that. <laughs> and for Debo Samuel, over or under six and a half receptions. Debo gonna get it, but uh, he gonna go over it. He's gonna go over. All right, man. What's your score prediction? Score prediction. I think it's gonna be a it's gonna be a high scoring game. So I'll say forty two thirty five. I'm gonna go uh, Niners. Forty two thirty five to the Niners. All right. Appreciate the phone call. And that's gonna do it for the over unders. Those are all the participants we have. Look. With these injuries to the 49ers, with everything that's going on, because I don't know what the timetable is, I'm not going to act. I'm going to. I'm not going to sit here and just you know say, oh yeah, Josh Norman and Kwan Williams, those guys are both officially out because we know what happened with Josh Norman after that last game, and you know. Thank God he's okay. Like, really. Because that's when, you know, stuff gets serious. When you have to, you know, get taken to the hospital after the game. And there's some bleeding that's going on within the chest. Like, that's just that was just terrible. But he was on the injury report. Same with Kwan Williams. And, you know, you're going to have to rely on these young corners who Russell Wilson can possibly feast on. Now, DK Metcalf uh, and Tyler Lockett were both non-participants in their last practice, so they're not going to be playing at 100%, uh, just in case you're getting into your car right now and uh, you didn't hear me mention that earlier. But I think it's going to be an incredible... I think it's going to be a shootout. I really do. I, I, I think the Seahawks are going to get theirs. Unless the pass rush gets to them. In which case, then maybe. But with how they played against Aaron Rodgers last week... I'll assume that the Seahawks will want to use the same strategy as the Packers where they just chip Nick Bosa off the edge so you can cut off his lane from getting to the quarterback and instead of leaving him just one-on-one, you give him a little shoulder tap and he still has to go and fight for that uh, fight for that fight for the sack. So I think it's going to be incumbent on those other guys, but I think it's going to be just a I think overall it's going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, the over under currently is set at 52. I could see that going over, and right now, the 49ers are favored by three. They are three-point favorites in this one. I've been going back and forth on the score, and how I think it's going to shake down, man, I think it's going to be a shootout, but I do think that the 49ers playing the Seahawks at home has a little bit of a different type of magic to it. I understand Russell Wilson is 14-4 and against the 49ers, um, but, you know, the Seahawks defense did not look good against the Vikings. If you, if you can even get a little bit of a run game going, at least create some sort of a threat, 
the Seahawks defense is going to bite on the play action. That's exactly what happened over there in Minnesota, and then Minnesota were able to capitalize. I think this is going to be a 34-28 to game. I think the 49ers end up winning this one over the Seahawks. I just don't see the Seahawks being that great of a team. Although I haven't mentioned yet Chris Carson. Chris Carson, to me, is the X factor for that for that Seahawks team. I think everyone tends to forget about Chris Carson and what he can do because sometimes he's had some fumbling issues in the past, but hey, he's a hard runner.